Coming up today on episode six of the Elevate 02 podcast, we are joined by a great American hockey hero. Megan Duggan is going to stop by, Olympic champion, seven-time world champion, and now Strader's colleague with the New Jersey Devils. So we'll talk to Megan Duggan, and we'll get into the looming sale of the Pittsburgh Penguins and what it means for players and the rest of the organization and how should fans, specifically in Boston, feel about all of this? Hope you enjoy Episode 6. Here's the Elevate 02 Podcast. This is the Elevate 02 Podcast, brought to you by Money Mitch, the podcast bringing you inside the world of hockey. From on the ice to inside the front office, we bring you places you've never been before. Now, here are your hosts, Tori Mitchell, Jonathan Bates, Brian Strait, and Brady Farkas. What's up, everybody? Episode 6, Elevate 02 Podcast. Your host, Brady Farkas, Money Mitch, Strader, and I like the professor. That's what I want to call Batesy. If I have to be Farky, you have to be the professor, Jonathan Bates. Are you okay I mean, with the professor? I mean, I yeah, of course. I mean, my, my intellect speaks for itself. So oh. sure. <laughs> got five degrees. I've got, I mean, I've got, I'm running out of wall space here, boys. Out of wall space. What can I say, you know? Professor Bates. <laughs> what what Bates. hat you have on, by the way? Oh, this uh, Bentley Motorsports. That's what Maybe I you've thought it was. Yeah. I'm like, do you own a Bentley? Is that why you're wearing it? Or no. <laughs> no uh, my my wife used to work in in the high end car dealership business. So like, I actually told one of her coworkers, how, like he gave me the hat as a gift. And I was like, man, this is a great hat. I saw him a year later, and I told him how much I liked it. He still sent me like three of them. They're great. <laughs> but no, I maybe someday I'll own a Bentley, but today is not the day. Well, <laughs> it is episode six. It's our pre-Thanksgiving episode, so hopefully this helps you get through the holidays with your in-laws or your family or travel or whatever. So listen to us wherever. But uh, let me put a bow on episode five. Mitch, you went viral in Minnesota for episode five. That story about Suter and Parisi trying to get you to practice in the Edina High School rink, I want you to know that Minnesota Sports Radio ran with that, and all these Wild fans were blowing up social media saying, see, this is why the Wild have been terrible. Lack of culture, lack of accountability. And then one guy called you out and said if Mitch was really committed he would have just moved to Edina <laughs> I mean it's the truth I don't know what to say they're they're both great teammates uh the whole team looked up to them but they were you know they were catered to and rightfully so they were making a ton of money they were both the captains the best players they wanted to practice in Edina because they lived in Edina and I stand by what I said I mean at the end of the day it didn't change too too much for the guys that lived in downtown Minneapolis to either go drive out to Edina or drive to St. Paul. It was still pretty much the same length of driving. And our, our star players got to uh, sleep in a little bit later and have a nice breakfast with their family and drive two minutes to the practice facility. Life was not too tough for for Mitch when when he was living in Minnesota. I remember that place that you and Brindy were living in, and, and you literally you had an underground garage with like a heated – a heated stall. The car, where you parked your car was heated, and it was fully valeted. So don't feel valet. too bad for him about the whole thing in the diner. Valet every day, and they had uh, I could order room service. Seriously, it was it was, it was unbelievable. But um, you don't need yeah. to walk back the comments, Mitch. I think the Wild fans no. liked the story because they felt that the you know they felt that Suter and Parisi were catered to too much. They liked the story because it validated what they already thought. I don't think you need to worry about walking back the comments. I think they liked hearing it because it just affirmed what they were already thinking. Look, me, me, and B- or Batesy commenting on how glorious my life was in Minneapolis doesn't change <laughs> the fact that they were catered to. Um, look, I'm pumped for this episode. We got so much to get to, so let's get right to it. Our guest today is going to be Megan Duggan. She's awesome. We've already taped that interview. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. One of the most influential hockey players in USA hockey history, male or female, gold medalist in the Olympic level, seven-time world champion. She's now working with Strader with the Devils, so we, you know, we talk with her about that. And I want to get to some of the ownership stuff in Pittsburgh, but just on the the Megan Duggan front working with the devils you know we've talked a lot in the last couple episodes guys about people taking circular routes to get into the nhl and people who didn't play getting a chance to now work in the nhl so i think it's cool that she's doing it kendall coin schofield's working with chicago right now batesy your time in the front office how many women did you come across either working with your organization or maybe that you dealt with in others not too many there were like barb underhill is one that kind of jumps out she's a, a 
very well-known skating coach um, that a lot of players work with, but but not many. I think it's terrific, though, how many women are getting involved because they're qualified. You know, like just talking to Megan, I mean, there's not enough paper in the world to fit everything, all of her accomplishments on one resume. It's unbelievable it, 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 how how impressive of a, of a hockey resume she has. Um, Kendall Cole and Schofield, like a couple of years ago, she won – or she raced in that fastest skater competition. Yep. You guys remember that? Like she yeah. was flying, flying, not a chance. I'd want to go after her, not a <laughs> chance. I'd trip over the blue line, but, um, but no, I think it's terrific. And it just, it just speaks volumes to, to facilities like elevate um, other individual growth of the game and facilities across, uh, across the country. Um, women's programs. Like we get into it a little bit with, with, uh, with Megan going to the university of Wisconsin. I, I think it's awesome. I really do. For me, 10, 15 years ago, it was always like the team mom. She was like the head secretary that kind of just behind the scenes, she, they kind of ran the show. I had I had an amazing one in uh, in San Jose, a great one in Minnesota, Buffalo, Montreal. She was uh, she was an incredible. They're just they're just so much better and so much more qualified to uh, have a job where they're organizing things. And and making sure everyone's in line, they're almost like the team, I don't, I don't, like just the team mom, really. You know, they took care of the families, they took care of the players getting traded, transportation, this and that. But now, you know, rightfully so, you have these overqualified uh, women that are that are now getting some big time jobs, scouting jobs uh, uh, within organizations. So it's it's great to see because obviously they're qualified. I think it's made a pretty big transition now. I mean, from what Tori's talking about, that's always been kind of a mainstay in the NHL of somebody who keeps everybody organized to now we have a lot of women working in the business in hockey. We talk about just working in hockey, right? Evaluating, uh, helping development like Megan's doing for us. So I think it's a massive movement that's, that's, that's rightfully in the direction it's supposed to be at this point. And, you know, I think, for me, just stepping into it a couple of years ago, you know, the more the merrier, to be honest with you, because they bring a whole new perspective because they played women's hockey, right? It's not different than men's hockey, but it actually does bring a different perspective. It's almost somewhat, you know, like bringing a European scout over and, and getting his his view on, on a player as well. So I think it's um, it's very welcome from, I know, our organization as a whole and then many others as well. Farkey, just to jump in real quick and, and to piggyback off what Stray was saying, I, I always say if you want if you want um, 14 different – if you want one opinion or expect for 14 to 20 scouts to all fall in line, um, why would you hire 14 to 20 scouts, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want, you want differing opinions. You want people from different backgrounds, from different geographical locations to, to – to make decisions on players and development and, and the, the future of your franchise. So I, I would totally welcome it. And, and clearly the rest of the league is too. I think it's awesome. I mean, it's going to, it's probably going to reach a point here where teams uh, will be at a disadvantage if they don't have a, a really solid women's perspective in their scouting meetings. I think it's so cool too, because Mitch and Strader, the question has always been historically, would men respond to playing for a woman or with a woman who is a coach? And I think Megan Duggan walks in, points to her resume. I think it's pretty hard not to just respect that instantly. No, I totally agree. I mean, like, why not? That resume is probably better than what I have, right? A couple hundred games in the NHL or whatever. And she has all these different championships, world championships and Olympic gold medal. I mean, I don't think it's any secret. Like she's overqualified for what she's doing. Um, she's getting her feet wet in the business, which is awesome. And she's, she's a pioneer. Well, yeah, I can't wait absolutely. for you guys to hear that interview. That's going to come up here in a couple of minutes with Megan Duggan. But as we tape this, the talks are pretty intense right now on the Fenway sports group, looking to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's kind of the big overarching NHL news right now. And by the time this comes out, the deal may be official, but even if it's not, the talks are serious. The Penguins are, are up for sale. Um, I don't believe that any of you have been associated with an NHL sale. So let me just kind of ask you about ownership and the involvement of ownership. Batesy, as someone who's probably worked the closest with ownership, just what was your experience with ownership and how much do you actually talk to the owners of a franchise? I had, when I was in Vancouver, we had 
kind of wavelengths of of ownership. The Aquilini family, uh, they're you know they're kind of public enemy one number one right now in Vancouver because of uh, the managerial decisions that they've made and and the kind of the, the future of the franchise there. But um, but from my experience, um, you know they would kind of come and go. Uh, Francesco specifically would occasionally sit in our meetings. He would take us to dinner. He'd want to know the ins and outs of the organization, our plan, how we allocate resources, how we spend money. Do you spend to the cap? Do you um, you know relieve a little bit of a cushion? Uh, is is X Y and Z player really at true value for what we're paying them? Um, on the open market, what would they be getting, and and are those numbers realistic for their level of play? Uh, so they would ask really great questions, but um, you know sometimes they would overstep their boundaries, no doubt about that. Uh, I can remember a couple of instances, one specifically in Pittsburgh or uh, at the trade deadline, we were talking about a deal um, with Pittsburgh, and uh, and 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 Francesco decided he was going to sit in on all those meetings and and he did and he made his voice heard just his presence is um is intimidating because he's the one cutting the checks um but uh, but then there were also some some really great instances and experiences I had with him one in Chicago I was uh, there for the draft you know whatever it was 4 or 5 years ago and and he showed up and he he saw me in the lobby I you know I'm low man on the totem pole I don't think that he has any idea who I am even though I've met him a number of times and he walked right over hey Batesy, how you doing how's your family i was like huh. i'm like what's what's this billionaire doing talking to me you know um when you then, say Batesy, when you say yeah. overstep his boundary a little bit is it like it was he was kind of micromanaging a little bit yeah like here here he owns what, a team, right he like, owns a team yeah so like if you're cutting the checks like you have a in my opinion you have a right to have have some sort of opinion but you know those guys, they owners don't make, they, they don't make millions and billions of dollars because they know how to build a hockey team. They make billions of dollars because they're great at whatever industry they've made their money in. You know, in my opinion, I think the best owners are the ones that let you, the general manager, drive with both hands on the steering wheel. You know, I think that was Brian Burke's line. I think that's a terrific line uh, that he used in his book. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, you can ride shotgun and, and be involved in the process. But when it comes to decision making as it pertains to my hockey team, I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes Francesco wanted to have an opinion on players and the direction of the team. And that that's a real challenge for a general manager. You know, I, I spoke with one GM one time that I did not work with but I had a good rapport with. And he said, the hardest part about my job is managing our owner. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part about my job. Yeah. You think yeah. about the helicopter owners, like a Jerry Jones type, you know, who we see in the NFL, who's clearly involved. He was also the GM forever, you know, in Dallas before finally, finally relinquishing some control. So you do see that. You also see owners that are completely absentee. Batesy, how would you feel if the owner was, was never around? Awesome. hell yeah that's perfect perfect i mean he's still he's still you know managing the expense reports and okay in those right you know (laughs) but no i think honestly like there are a lot of owners who are a lot of a lot of teams in the league that the owners hey just just let me know if we're competitive you know and um and that's great too but but again you know i've never actually been 100 percent in the driver's seat i will say um real quick story with Francesco, we uh, in 2010, we our objective was to sign Manny Malhotra and Dan Hamus in free agency, and we did. And that was a really, really big get because we thought that those two guys were going to really help us, you know, push us over the top. And and you know, we won a Presidents Trophy that year. Well, that night, July one, we're in Vancouver, and and Francesco, being very gracious and appreciative of our work, he took us all to dinner. Have you have you guys ever had grappa? Do you know what grappa yeah. is? I've heard of it, never had it. Oh, it's like it's it's a it's a brandy and it's a dessert wine. So like, dessert I'm, brandy. Yeah. Have have you had it, Mitch? You've oh, had yeah. It? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Dude, but it's like it's like sixty percent alcohol. Oh, it's like, this heavy. stuff is it is no joke. Fire. No joke. Yeah. <laughs> so he brings up. <laughs> oh, he brings this, you know, he's an Italian guy, so like that's a part of his culture. So he brings this really nice bottle of grappa. I've never had grappa before. I don't know what the hell it is, but shit i was you know 25 years old hell yeah pour me some of that so so i take one sip 
And I'm just like, holy shit. Like it, it, <laughs> it was like taking the worst shot of my life. And it was probably more than my salary. Like the vast, <laughs> purpose, right? Like it took every ounce of my being to get it. And I'm sitting right next to this guy and he's like, Oh, it's pretty good. Right. I'm like, yeah, I'm like dry heaving in my mouth, biting my tongue. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up. Everybody else, I'm looking around the table. Everybody else is kind of having the reaction I do, except for one guy, Lucien Dubois, who is an absolute character. Um, <laughs> played for the played uh, played for the Habs, Mitch, back in the day. Played yeah, for the yeah. Rangers. Just yeah. great guy. And yep. he's like, he's loving it. He's like, oh man, <laughs> this is. Bitch, are you gonna finish that? You're not. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> he starts down in everybody's everyone's, <laughs> and we're like, we're like carrying him back to the hotel. It was hilarious. That's but, awesome. Yeah, well, from story. the from the players' perspective, uh, I know Straders had a, a couple different owners too. I've had a mixed bag of owners. I mean, uh, the Pagulas in Buffalo were incredible. Jeff Molson in Montreal was was around and was just super well liked. Um, in the community and, and amongst the team and the families and stuff. Uh, Leopold in uh, Leopold in uh, Minnesota was, was, was great. My nothing but great things uh, to say about him. I mean, I, at San Jose, I didn't see the owners as much. It was more of an ownership group there. So there wasn't one specific guy, but uh, no, all the owners that, that I played for were, uh, were super good and let the team, uh, you know, let the GMs run the team. You know, what Batesy was talking about there about just letting the GM have two hands on the steering wheel, right? Like, I think that comes back to when the general manager takes the job, right? You hear all the time about different managers getting interviewed for jobs. And, and there's a lot of times, like, they turn them down because they have an interview with, <laughs> with the owner and they're like, I can't work for this guy. I think it's really important that in those, those talks, the owner and the general manager are very transparent on what they want to do. Um, because if they're not seeing eye to eye, it's just not going to work. It's not going to be a great marriage. That's a really great point. That's a really, really great point. You're as a potential general manager, obviously I've never been in that situation, but you're very much interviewing your owner just as much as they're interviewing you, you know, because to Strader's point, you, you want that alliance. You want that marriage to, to work really, really well. Yeah. You really only have like one crack at it. If, yeah. if, if you don't do a good job yeah. the first time, you're not getting a second chance. <laughs> right, exactly. Especially this day and age. Yeah. When this sale goes through eventually of the Penguins, how does it change things for those players, you think? Do you think, you know, we talk about the owner-player relationship. Mitch says, hey, I kind of had one with this guy, but not as much with that guy. Mitch, is that something you as a player would be cognizant of? Hey, the team's been sold. There's different people in here. Would you be thinking about it at all as a player? Personally, no. As long as my paychecks are still on time, I'd be. <laughs> I literally was about to I say mean, that. I was going to jump in. Yeah. I'm like, he doesn't fucking care. As, as long as, as a player, you can care less. Make sure the direct deposit every two weeks is in the bank account. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, look for, for them, I, and I know he's he's going to own multiple teams in multiple cities in different sports. Uh, right, it's uh, the Red Sox and and Liverpool in the uh, yep. in England, and then. Now the Penguins. I mean, as far as those guys on the on the pens, I mean, it's it's business. It's mm-hmm. business. It's business as usual. You know, you know like your objective is still to win. Your objective yeah. is still to win. You know, I mean, unless this guy's like running in the locker room uh, talking about the Sox and Liverpool every day all day. I mean, the guys might might rub them the wrong way a little bit, but for the most part, if the if the money is showing up on time, it's business as usual. Maybe they would try to work in a couple of tickets to a Liverpool or Sox game too, you know, like, Hey, <laughs> Not the worst like, thing. Yeah. The, the only person I feel like the owners really owe a talk to would be Sid in that situation, right? Like the legend, the guy who, you know, I mean, if there was going to be some kind of change, right. That he's the guy that would need, you know, you need to speak to and say, will. you know, this is the type of change where we're planning on making or we're not. I don't think they're going to make any changes because whatever they're doing is working. Right. But um, yeah. that that's one area that one person it might affect a little bit. But. What about straighter? Like, I mean, obviously you, you played with both these guys. Like would Malkin not qualify on that level? I mean, obviously Sid is Sid, but fuck, Malkin's pretty damn good. He is. He is. Good. And, and you know what? He's probably earned the respect of Pittsburgh legend, right? Like sure. at mm-hmm. this point, I think it gets lost in the weeds because he's been injured um, so often over the last couple of years. You kind of forget about him. He's the forgotten guy. But like this is the guy who really 
one of the, you know, put him over the top to win the last two um, Stanley Cups too. So yeah, he'd probably be in that talk. But once again, it's like, that's the, that's the nature of the business we've talked about where he's a free agent this off season and maybe he doesn't yeah. get that talk. Ooh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's gonna get paid wherever he goes show me the money <laughs> but you're not looking over your shoulder at all see anytime there's change you know we talk about good organizations in sports and it doesn't matter what the sport is whether it's the patriots whether it's the the yankees whatever stable organizations or good organizations generally are stable organizations and if you have a sale you're introducing some instability there and i would think that as a player you're looking over your shoulder a little bit wondering is the direction going to change? Are they going to get rid of somebody? Are they changing up the, the identity, the culture? I'd be worrying about that stuff. Well, well uh, hold on. Why, why would why would the culture change if unless you're unless you're terminating Brian Burke and Ron Hextall, president GM? Why would the culture change? Because sometimes an owner likes to come. You've seen this in ever, other sports. You've seen this in sure. other businesses. Owner comes in, they put their own stamp on it. They want their guys there, and and things do change. Now I understand the Penguins have been good and they've won a lot, so you probably wouldn't do that immediately or imminently if you're this ownership group. But I would be wondering about what chaos is getting introduced. Of course, you yeah, had a valid point. That would be the one, the only time that the players would be affected is if this owner came in and. Just came in hot and was, you know, cha- changing the GM, changing the coach, and all of a sudden there's this crazy trickle down effect. Obviously, if you're changing the GM, changing the coach, the players are going to have a lot of turnover as well. So it's, sure. I mean, yeah, but the likelihood of that happening, an owner buying a team and coming in and just going bananas, a winning team, very slim. This isn't his first team purchase, right? He owns two uh-huh. major organizations already, so he's got his ducks in a row. I would be worried, just kind of thinking about it. I would be worried if he was some random billionaire that you know the next cool thing to to add to his resume would be to sure. buy a sports team. I would be I would be worried about that. Yeah, he has, he has a track record at yeah. least. I mean, you know, from Boston. I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> fans think of <laughs> they think yeah. about his track record, but still, yeah. he has experience. That's all. On that note, before we get to Megan Duggan, I do want to bring this up from the fans' perspective. If I were a Bruins fan, I would be livid about this, by the way. And this is what Boston Sports Radio was talking about. And I think it was pretty much split 50-50. So I don't know that there's a right answer to this one. But if I were a Bruins fan, I would be livid. When you look at what John Henry has done in Boston, he's invested in Boston heavily. He owns the Red Sox. He owns the Boston Globe. He owns Nesson, of which the Bruins are on. If you are a Boston fan of any sport... You have lined his pockets and made him rich, and now he is going to buy a team that is your direct rival and is trying to prevent you from winning the Stanley Cup. If he wanted to buy Vancouver or Winnipeg, I probably wouldn't care as much. But the fact that he's buying Pittsburgh, a team in your conference that directly competes with you, I'd be livid. I've lined your pockets, and now you're buying my rival? That feels like a traitorous move to me. It's an interesting take. I've heard a lot of this, too, actually. I mean, our owners own the Devils and the Sixers, right? You know, mm-hmm. is one of our <laughs> one of yeah. our rivals. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess when you get, you know, you guys can talk about this too. When you get so close to the game as we are, you kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like the fan element for me has kind of escaped my mind at this point, and I just don't think about it that way. But I could see how people get upset about that, really. But from a player's perspective, there's uh, not none of those guys are getting upset. No. They're, still, yeah. they're still playing. They're still they still have pride to play in that city that they're playing in, in, in Pittsburgh or in, in in Boston. And they're, you know, like I said, they're it's business. If the checks are coming in on time, and the whole you know the whole organization hasn't been flipped upside down, those guys are showing up, going to work, and and focusing on hockey. Uh, the fans, I can get I, the fans. Farky, I understand it. That was a really fans, good point. yes. I can get. Uh, that. I know Beatsy and Strader. I'm with you on that. Like the fans, I get it. It's like. Whoa, we just you're right. We we've been lining your pockets. We feel double crossed a little bit. It's fifty fifty split, makes sense. But as far as a player's perspective, uh I can I can say from for me and Strader, it's business as usual. Yeah, and even even from a scout's perspective or, or a member of a hockey operation staff, my opinion, quite frankly, is uh, I really don't give a shit where you come from if you want to buy the team. I just care about being able to 
do my job effectively. And again, like, like we said before, um, maintain both hands on the steering wheel from a general manager's perspective. You know, I know it does go that way straighter. I know your situation there with the Devils and Sixers, et cetera. Stan Kroenke owns the Abs and the Nuggets, but also owns the Los Angeles Rams. So it does happen that way. <laughs> but generally, you do see people kind of invest fully in one city. You look at Reinsdorf in Chicago, owns multiple Chicago teams. Um, so it, it happens more often that way. Uh, Leonis owns the Capitals and the Wizards in Washington. So it happens more often that way. It's Leon's definitely become harder, though, to do that because, like, pro sports, is, especially in North America, is just so, you know, massive. Like, teams, like, owners don't want to sell anymore. Yeah. Like, it's teams- just, like, such a growing business. So when something pops up, something you're just going to jump on whatever's available because there's yeah. just nothing available. It's like, a, you know, I don't know if the housing market is, is too booming like it is right now. Like, whatever's available is just going to go through the roof, and whoever can uh, pay it will pay it. Yeah, teams teams don't come up for sale every day. You know that's oh. that's it's very unique. Um, so to Trader's point, I agree 100. You got to jump on it when you can, and you know just bringing up Ten Leon says his investment looks pretty good at 85 million when he bought the Caps, whenever that was <laughs> 19, 1997 or something like that. Mm, Holy shit! What, and what's it worth now? Oh God, what do you think, Trader? 650, 700, probably. Yeah, I mean that was the same with Charles too when he bought the Isles. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wang. Yeah. It, made a pretty penny off that well like i said good business is good business fine but as a fan fan stands yep. for fanatic i, am I totally not, get that though i can't I reconcile totally that. that as a boston fan so. i already i already got buddies complaining about it I'm like, <laughs> yeah well because and this this is not going to happen but you know there are fans that think well, how does his investment in the Penguins impact the Red Sox? Is he going to start shortchanging the Red Sox? You know, are we going to become, you know, Tampa Bay Rays North and not pay anybody any money because of the Penguins? That's not going to happen. And the Pens are not going to get shortchanged in any way because of the Red Sox or Liverpool. He has made the money work with all of his investments. So that doesn't bother me. It's solely the optics of, you know, again, I told you last episode, I'm the fan police. So, but now I do, <laughs> I do want to get to our interview. Megan Duggan, seven time world champion, Olympic champion, uh, University of Wisconsin product, and Strader's colleague with the New Jersey Devils. The Elevate 02 podcast is brought to you in part by Parkview Air Medical. Parkview Air Medical provides professional medical escorts consisting of fully certified ACLS trained paramedics, registered nurses, and physicians. These escorts accompany your patient, your family member, your friends on major commercial airlines. These transports can also be done via train and cruise ships for those who can't fly. They will assist you in making sure that the journey is safe and stress-free. They'll coordinate the transportation needs to and from the airport along with wheelchair, seat-to-seat transfers, and baggage assistance. They will ensure a smooth bedside-to-bedside transition. You can learn more about Parkview Air Medical online at parkviewairmedical.com. They've got a huge medical staff pool. They're able to meet those last-minute requests, and they can have an escort with you or your patient or family member in just a matter of hours. And they have access to visa procurement services also. It's Parkview Air Medical online at parkviewairmedical.com. Our guest for episode six, someone we're very, very excited to talk to. The resume is expansive. Olympic champion, I believe seven-time world champion, uh, now works for the New Jersey Devils, one of the most influential female hockey players of all time. It's our new friend, Megan Duggan. Megan, thanks for uh, joining us and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Apologize to the listeners. I'm losing my voice a little bit, but uh, hopefully hang on to it long enough to chat with you guys. Well, we appreciate you stopping by. Before we get to hockey, this is our Thanksgiving episode, so I got to ask. I got to ask you, at the Duggan household, what is what's on the menu? What's tradition? Oh, um, pretty standard stuff, I would say. Actually, the last two years, my wife and I hosted Thanksgiving here at our house, and this year, with two kids, we're doing it easy. Going to my mom's house, showing up with you know just a pie or something, not putting on the whole spread, but. My mom has hosted uh, for as long as I can remember prior to the last two years. She does an amazing job, puts on a whole spread for a big Irish family. This year it'll be a small, small group, uh, just, you know, a couple of us. But I would say the biggest tradition from our family is my mom actually, when she's cooking the turkey, she lays bacon across the turkey, which 
obviously is fantastic once the bacon gets cooked, but it helps kind of like self-based the turkey as well. So uh, the bacon's delicious. It's a big tradition in my family. So I would say that's probably uh, a staple in our household. Are you a Christmas music before Thanksgiving person or does it have to be after Thanksgiving? Has to be after for me, for sure. It's uh yeah, and it's a point of contention in my household, too, because my wife's Canadian and their Thanksgiving is a long time ago, right? It's uh, October or something. So she's all ready for Christmas now. And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, we got <laughs> football. I got to go to the hometown football game, get all that in. And we can do Christmas right after. Isn't it? The question is, do you put the Christmas lights up? You went with the Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Isn't it lights pre or post Thanksgiving? That's the question. <laughs> Anything Christmas related, Mitch, needs to wait till the Friday after Thanksgiving. No, that's not true. That's not true. I got the Christmas music going on already. Me and the girl. No, I love Thanksgiving, but me and the girls put it on every morning now. It's unbelievable. Just uh, put you in a good mood. You have to do that. I, actually, do that. <laughs> I will say, I will say, I introduce, I, Megan, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I introduced my kids to Home Alone the other day. On Saturday, we Great watched movie. Home Alone. Yeah. And. I mean, you yeah. know, I'm kind of kind of in the spirit now. Into it. Yeah, you know what it is? I, I love it. I'm with you. I'm all about the Christmas spirit. It makes me so happy. I just love Thanksgiving so much. I just don't want to see it overlooked, you know? The best was up in Winnipeg. They used to put the Christmas lights up before Halloween because once Halloween's over, the snow comes down, it gets too cold. Like you got to get the lights up before mm-hmm the snow comes down or else you just can't get it up, you know? Wow. Isn't that crazy? Or, or, or there was a time I went to visit Mitchell in Montreal in like February and he still had all his Christmas wreaths up. <laughs> Remember that stupid wreath that you had? You were so proud of this talking about it. It was like the end of February into March. It was still hanging. Megan, I had the fire department. So I grew up, I, I ended up getting traded to Montreal, but I grew up about 10 minutes from the Bell, old Montreal Forum Bell Center. And, uh, I had some buddies work for my hometown fire department. They came over and put this wreath up, like this massive wreath. I had no way of getting it down, so I kept it there. <laughs> 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 Should have kept it up for the next year. You're like, oh, here we are again. Oh, yeah. I know. What a, what a scene. I had all the neighbors out looking. Everyone thought there was a fire going on. I'm using the resources, the town resources, to put my wreath up. <laughs> <laughs> Bonehead move. What yeah, you're paying taxes. Part. You're yeah. paying taxes. <laughs> Exactly. Unreal. Unreal. Oh, All right, let's go, baby. All right, let's get in. Let's get into some hockey with Megan Duggan here. Um, let's kind of work backwards, all right? Because you've you've done a lot in the game. Obviously, we know about the playing resume. You did a little bit of college coaching at Clarkson, I think, in the 2014 season. Now you're in the NHL with the Devils. What's the job title and what's the job description for you right now? Yeah, uh, definitely. I've had a lot of different hockey experiences in my life, and I think that's probably what led me um, to this role with the Devils. And I started in May, um, I'm manager of player development for the organization, and and really, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a unique role, and it's a fantastic role because what it does is it really affords me the opportunity to have touch points in a lot of different areas um, in the organization. Whether it's you know talking to to your buddy here, like Brian, about about some of the guys that he sees or. Um, you know, some of the amateur guys, um, I came in during the off season. So a lot of focus on draft prospects and, um, you know, and things like that. But, but ultimately my role is, um, you know, as it says, to help in the development of our players, right. From when we take them, um, either in the draft or we get them through, you know, other avenues, uh, and throughout their life cycle as an NHL player. So there's a lot of different components, as you guys know, and can imagine that go into, a player having a successful NHL career, right? It's not just on the ice. It's not just the skill component. That's certainly a large component of it, but you know, the off ice, the mental, mental, um, technical, tactical, all those types of things psychologically. And so really kind of managing and overseeing um, and helping our players develop it in the best way that, that they can in all of those areas. Um, and so that's having touch points, like I said, with a lot of different people in our organization, as well as the players. Talk about like, you know, managing positions that you didn't necessarily play, you know, goaltenders, defensemen, that kind of thing, and and the impact that that can have and, and maybe what you've learned working with players in, in different positions. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's that's certainly something um, for me that I, I have to spend a little extra time on, you know, learning about the, the goaltenders in our, in our organization or the defensemen because I didn't play those positions. Um, you know, my experience at Clarkson where I coached in the NCAA for two seasons, definitely I'm, dra- I'm drawing from that for sure because it was my first time being on the other side of the bench. 
in having to work with obviously all the players and having to think and see the game differently and having to make decisions and, um, you know, and understand culture and leadership and, and those types of things from a different lens. So I'm certainly using some of that um, and also just learning as I go. I mean, I have great mentors in this organization. It's, a, it's an awesome group. And anytime I'm with anyone, I try to ask questions and understand kind of what their role is and what they do or what they're looking for. And, you know, I mentioned it before, but I had the opportunity last week or a week and a half ago now to to take in one of our Utica games with Brian and, you know, being able to to talk back and forth about what he's seeing or what I was seeing in the game. Um, I love to utilize those opportunities, too, to help myself you know, personally grow, but then be better at my job ultimately. Megan, I don't know how much you know about Elevator 2. We do skill development on on smaller size training rinks. Ours is actually 40 by 60 feet, but the one in North Andover is about 50 by 80 feet. So the one thing that we've seen since starting, we've been doing it for about two years, is this like golden age, at least specifically in Vermont, of, of girls hockey. And there are some absolute studs that <laughs> entered our facility, our little facility here. We have, I think we have two Wisconsin commits. We have. Go Badgers. Uh, <laughs> from Little Vermont. Right? And these girls, when you, when you chat with them, and I know you're, you're obviously familiar with it, having played and having all these girls look up to you, but your generation was the generation that they truly looked up to. Like, when you talk about those Olympic teams, um, they can name the whole roster, some of these girls. And so for me, growing up, I had the, it was Joe Sackick. That was my idol, hockey idol. I'm curious to know who your hockey idol was growing up and who you instantly saw and said, well, wow, I want to be in her shoes or his yeah. shoes. Yeah, great question. And, and, you know, I appreciate you saying that about um, those, uh, our generation kind of being a role model for those young girls, because we take we take a lot of pride in it. And that's, you know, on the women's side that it's just, that's a part of us. And that's why we play. And um, it's a huge component for us, because um, it has to be right, we have to help try to grow our sport in, in one sense. Um, but uh, I think, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that, because it's been important to me to be those role models for the next generation because that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I grew up in Danvers. You know, I was the only girl I ever saw playing hockey up in, in uh, Danvers, Mass. Sorry. And I was the only girl I ever saw playing hockey. I played on all boys teams. I thought I was just one of the guys. I, I you know, I, I watched the NHL. I idolized players on the Bruins growing up in the Boston area. And um, I thought that's what I was going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to play in the NHL and I'm going to be one of those players. But um, I didn't have the opportunity to see women playing at an elite level until the 1998 Olympics. And that was the first time that I saw women, really women playing hockey, let alone at an elite level. And so my, my parents were great. They supported me in, in watching all those games. I was able to stay home from school. The, the games were in Nagano, Japan. So the times were all crazy. But, um, and that was really my big aha moment. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet a woman that won gold on that team. It was the first time women's ice hockey was included in the Olympics and um, they US won gold. It was awesome. And I watched the game and then had an opportunity to meet one of those women that came home. She spoke at an event that I went to with my dad. And here I was this 11 year old kid who didn't know that women played hockey and I had never seen it. So I didn't know that I could be that until I met her and she, you know, put her Jersey around my shoulders and, you know, put her medal around my neck and, it was just like, that was it for me. Um, yeah. I, I ended up after that being that little kid that was running around town and running around school saying, you know, I'm going to captain Team USA to a gold medal someday. Like, I am going to win a gold medal in the Olympics. And it's funny because, you know, when I went on to do it and then went back home, everyone said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe when you were 10 years old, you were telling us <laughs> you were going to do this. And you yeah. did it. And, um, you know, had a lot of support along the way. But that was definitely a big moment for me. Your generation, well, you're t- now you're bringing up 98. Um, and I'm thinking of just like Haley Wickenheiser, I'm Canadian, Cassie Campbell. It's amazing. And I'm sure you guys didn't fully feel it when you were playing because obviously you just wanted to be on the team and produce and stay on the team as long as possible. But you guys were such pioneers for the women's game. And it's remarkable remarkable for me because I'm training young girls to see the uh, the growth in the game is just but those were the years. And, and now it's funny seeing 
Haley Wickenheiser working in the NHL, you, um, you know, Cassie Campbell, I think, that, you know, she was one of the first to do, uh, I guess, color commentary, right? On Yeah, what a legend, yeah. Just, just such legends that young girls can, and I have three daughters, that can look up to. And anyways, I just wanted to say that you guys are pioneers and it's great. Uh, I'll, I'll let Strader chime in here. I'm stealing all the airtime. <laughs> no, no, no. It was great. I also think it's it's incredibly important, too. I think, you know, when I first started watching you specifically, when you guys were winning all those gold medals, like NHL starts getting into the Olympics, obviously. And then USA, good teams, right? But not like the men's teams, like not like fantastic. And it's just kind of like your teams like actually galvanized, I felt like, um, the country from the Winter Olympics standpoint. And I thought that was really important, right? Because you're watching the men's team and it's some days it went well, some days it didn't, right? I know that Tori remembers the, uh, the Vancouver uh, debacle there where, you know, yep, I know. Oh, God. But, <laughs> no, but, you know, the, the, the U.S. women's team was always something that Americans could hang their hat on, really. And um, it, it was – you know, your teams specifically were ones I always look forward to watching during the Olympic Games. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and we took pride in that. You know, I mean, I remember going into um, the final weeks of the 2018 Olympics. And, and to be honest, like, or the final days, excuse me, the U.S. hadn't, we hadn't won a ton of medals. Like everyone was saying, oh, you know, the Winter Olympics this year, the U.S. team, like Team USA as a whole is just kind of like average right now. And and we were like, we got to do this. You know, we got to do this for our country. Like people you know, everyone's tuned in every four years, everyone really gets on the, on the bandwagon of the U S women's Olympic team. And I wish they tuned in, you know, the four years in between that more. So don't get me wrong, but um, you know, there's a lot of people watching us. There's a ton of pressure and, uh, but we saw it as a privilege and uh, we take a lot of pride in, you know, one being the role models for those, those young women, you know, that, that see it, be it mentality, but two, kind of being those, you know, those golden, golden athletes and golden women, um, for our country. And uh, it's a special thing to be a part of. You know, that 2018 Olympic final against Canada, I remember being up until two in the morning Eastern time watching that game. It was overtime shootout, the game winning goal that won it might have been the prettiest goal I've ever seen. Men yeah, were otherwise, um, either side of it. So if that game was that fun to watch, what was it like to play it? I think I pulled my groin just watching that goalie, tra- the Canadian goalie. Tra- oh. that my gosh. What a goal. And like, I've, I've watched that goal a million times. Jocelyn Lamoureux, you know, player I just went to battle with, you know, year after year on the national team with one of my, one of my closest friends. So happy for her to score that big goal for us. Um, but I remind myself too, that she did it on the best goalie in the world. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> at that point, like Shannon Zavados had won back-to-back gold medals. I mean, she's one of the best goalies in the world and I have a ton of respect for her as well. And so to score a goal like that, you know, on someone that, that good, um, it was, it was what a moment that was. I could watch it all day, but the game, I mean, the game in general was just, it was exactly what we expected. It was, it was exactly what we prepared for. Um, you know, and, and we just had that mindset for the four years leading into it. We just for four years prepared and you, don't get me wrong. You focus on the process. There's a lot of details in there. You can't overlook any opponent. But we had come up short twice in, in my tenure of a, of a gold medal. And we were not going to play Canada again in a gold medal game in the Olympics and lose. And that was the mindset. We wanted to face them. We wanted the game to be close. We didn't care. I see, I see Mitch. He wants to. Yeah, no, it. yeah, I, I know. I can sense. Hype, hype, down. <laughs> hype down peanut gallery. Nobody know, wants I to hear from you. Crushed the world championships. And then you'd get to the Olympics, <laughs> the big, the big one and lose. What was it like winning that? It must've just been I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it was a lifetime of work. It was a lifetime of like blood, sweat and tears and sacrifice. It sounds so cliche, but it was a lifetime of that. Um, you know, we were rewarded for it and I'll give our team credit. Like we, we came up short in 2010. And again, this is in my tenure I'll talk about, but we came up short in 2010 of an ultimate goal, right? No one, we were certainly proud of it. We don't do what we do for second place. No one does. And, you know, to then go to Sochi and lose in heartbreaking fashion again and give the game away at the end of the game, we had to 
like rebrand, rediscover and reimagine like who we were as a team and who we were as a program in those four years between 2014 and 2018. And it was not easy. We were, you know, we had a lot of changes that were made. We were challenged to think about the game in different ways. Personnel was in and out. Coaches were in and out. Management was different. Like there was a ton of changes. We were challenged. Really, you know, we lived by, you, you can't stay the same and expect a different result. And um, we, we dove into some new stuff and I'll give our team credit for sticking with it when it wasn't easy and when no one wanted to do it. Um, and we were successful in the end. So there's a lot of different components that, that went into it, but, but that was pretty much our process. And so to your question, to be rewarded for that um, and to, to win in 2018, it was, uh, you know, it was unbelievable. There's, you there's no words really. You can't even describe it. Yeah. 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 Best part of celebrating, you know, with your family and friends and teammates and, and everyone that had a hand in it um, after the game. Just hearing you talk just triggered so many questions, but you obviously, you know, you've been a part of the Olympic team for a number of different Olympic games. Um, and you talk about not being able to get over the hump and win gold as a leader uh, on that team, especially with kind of the revolving door of, of changes, I guess you could say um, in that tenure, how did that affect your leadership abilities? And did you do anything differently to help lead your team, you know, to the promised land, essentially? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, throughout the, the process, being a leader, you guys probably know if you've been leaders of teams, like it's, it's not an easy job. And it's, it's one that, um, that I certainly took a lot of pride in, take a lot of pride in. Um, but it was, I mean, it was day in and day out. It's, I spent a lot of time after 2014, I was the captain of that team as well. And, and obviously felt that I, I failed my team, right? Can't put the game away in the last couple of minutes. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, how can I rediscover myself? Like, who am I and what am I made of? And, and truly like, I spent days like looking at myself in the mirror, right? Like people say that like, Oh, you know, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the tough questions. Like I literally stood in front of the mirror and said to myself, like, you can't do this again if you're not going to do it the right way. Or if you're not going to make changes or challenge yourself to be a better athlete, teammate, you know, leader, all those things. And so my leadership was challenged a ton. You know, I stood on an Island a lot um, fighting for things for our team, pushing us in a direction that players didn't want to go at times. Um, but again, I just lived by that model. Like you can't say the same and expect a different result. We all need to give more. And I demanded it from myself in the way that I, I worked or studied or pushed myself out of my comfort zone or showed up for practice every day. There was tons of stuff I didn't want to do. There was tons of, you know, systems I didn't like or buy into or think were um, going to be helpful for us. But, um, you know, try to challenge myself throughout those four years to think, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is that next edge. Maybe this is what I need to do and make myself uncomfortable to help make the team uncomfortable to get over that hump. So there was a lot of that, a lot of, um, you know, obviously sports psych went into it as well and, and uh, learning about that side and, and reading and uh, trying to be the best leader I could be. And at times it was awesome. And at times it was very difficult. You know, I think it's also underselling the journey a little bit because you talk about being so singularly focused and you were on the ice, but you're also doing it simultaneously with this women in sports and women's rights movement all at the same time. You know, I knew the women's soccer team was battling over wages and pay and you guys, I'm going to have the year wrong. Maybe it was at the 2017 world championships. You guys threatened to, to not even be a part of. So yeah, you have this focus, but there's so much else going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot going on. Um, we did, we, we threatened to boycott the 2017 world championships after about like 16 months of, of uh, stalled negotiations with USA hockey over a, a lot of things. Um, but basically equity in our sport. Um, and so that was something that was certainly for a while, you know, in those four years bogging us down and was a real heavy weight on our shoulders and something that, you know, to put so much energy into something off the ice when you really want to just devote all your energy on the ice, it was challenging. But I think, um, you know, fast forward through that story and we were able to come to terms with USA hockey. We went to the world championship that year, like a day before the tournament started after boycotting the training camp. Um, we showed up, won five straight games, beat Canada in front of a sold-out crowd in Michigan in overtime. And, and then after that, it just propelled us. You know, it just really bound us together um, and propelled us forward and, and was that extra edge, in my opinion, to leading us into 2018 as well. I love when we beat Canada. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. I, 
I had a quick question about, you talked about pressure, right? The pressure of the Olympics and such. Um, I think about that all the time when I watch some of the other athletes perform too, right? Like uh, this past summer too, that the people that had to drop out because of either COVID or whatever it might be. I'm like, wow, these, their sport is a little bit different, obviously, whoever it might be sprinters or whatnot, but still like preparing for four years, the kind of pressure for that and knowing that you have, I, I, I mean, it's different because it was the NCAA tournament, but like knowing that, like I compare it to that of like, it's just like this small little stretch of time that you need to perform your best in order to get to your goal. Like, what's that like? Yeah, it's insane. Um, It's, it's a ton of pressure. It's a ton of pressure and you can let it, you can let it really cripple you and bog you down. Um, And you can let it get to you in your training and in your preparation and, Um, And again, that was part of that mindset shift for us, like seeing it as a privilege, seeing any challenges we faced or, you know, the difficult nature of just women's ice hockey at the Olympics, seeing it as a privilege um, and and looking at it that way. We also um, I remember going in, you know, thinking about that game. Right. And for so long in 2010 and 2014, when I thought about the Olympic gold medal final leading into those games, I thought, like, I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. I have to play my best game. And again, in that mindset shift going into 2018, that was part of it that someone's going to have a bad game. Someone's going to have a bad game in the Olympic gold medal final. Someone's going to have a bad game every game and I'm going to have bad shifts. I'm going to, I'm going to cough up the puck on a turnover. Like no question. I'm going to have a turnover in the game. And so wrapping your head around that, that that's why we've prepared in the way that we've prepared, right? That's why we have, you know, this person playing with this person and this group out against this group. And that's why we're a team, right? We, we had an 18-year-old goalie in net in the Olympic gold medal final. I remember when we got into the shootout and I was looking at our 18-year-old goalie. First really? Olympic, huge smile really? on her face. Yep. Really? She, she was 18? Yep. Huge oh smile on her face. Like, she was so psyched. And I'm looking <laughs> down at Shannon Zavados, like, multi-Olympic gold medalist, like, best goalie in the world. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this kid is – she's going to win it for us. I just know. <laughs> I know. And she did. Um, but we just had to, to to trust in our preparation, trust in the process, like, know that you could lean on your teammates and let go of I have to have a perfect game. And just know, like, I have to – I have to – do what I have been preparing to do and do it the best that I can today. And if I make a mistake, respond, like you have to respond. And, and that helped too. I think that took some of the pressure off, I would say, but also I guess the way I would phrase it it is let us like thrive in that pressure moment. You know, you, you grew up in Massachusetts and you went to prep school out at, was it Cushing? Yeah. Yeah. Cushing Cushing Academy. Um, And then you end up at the university of Wisconsin uh, I'm assuming Mark Johnson had a big, big role in you going to Wisconsin. Um, maybe talk about uh, sort of your recruiting, um, you know, visit and what the sell job was there and, and maybe his development uh, of you over your four year tenure there and how that's maybe impacted uh, your, your career now with New Jersey. Yeah, great question. Mark Johnson was definitely one of the biggest, biggest reasons why I chose Wisconsin. Um, I think as I told you guys, I grew up, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to win a gold medal. And so when thinking about that next phase in my, in my life to get to the national team, which was NCAA, you know, who, who better to learn from, right. than someone that I think had the goal scoring record in the 80 Olympics certainly was a, a predominant, you know, factor on their team and is a gold medalist. So, uh, but there were so many other components about the university that, that really pulled me out there. And I think, my parents would have appreciated had I stayed local and gone to one of the great Boston schools, which I looked at. But when I went out to Wisconsin and, and you know, no shade against any other school, it was just, it, it's just here. Like it, it, I can't, I don't know how else to explain it. And it's just levels above. And it was back then. Um, it, it is now it's a, it's a wonderful university. They treat their athletes world-class. Um, it's a great city. It's a great school. Uh, had a fantastic coaching staff and even beyond that the resources I mean the athletes out there just you get treated like a true pro and uh, it was a wonderful experience for me and I, I really grew and developed and learned um, under Mark Johnson's leadership as well as the leadership of other teammates I had there I mean the school attracted some some real top-end talent and I had the opportunity to play with some really great players um, and some fantastic coaches and um, you know, it was an experience of a lifetime for me. We had a lot of success out there as a team and, um, and it really helped propel me to that next phase in my career with the national team. 
Megan, I'll get you out of here on this, at least the last one from me. And it's a two-part question, kind of a ha-ha here. One, what other non-hockey Olympic sport did you find yourself watching the most when you were at the Olympic Games? And two, since you're now a friend of the show, um, which one of your Team USA teammates should be our next guest on the podcast? Who would be, who's got the best personality that we should hit up next? Okay, good one. Um, so when I was at the Olympics, we really got it. We became buddies with the curling guys. And we really got on board in 2018 with the curling guys. And it was awesome because they came to a lot of our games and then we had finished and won in their gold medal final, I think was one or two days after. And the whole team went and you know, you know, the vibe in the curling rink, right? Yeah. And we were done. So we were, we were celebrating, you know, having a, having a good time watching the curling guys. Um, and that was the year that I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. Their skipper, but just had some ridiculous shot and they won in dramatic fashion and we were there, you know, supporting them. And it was so fun. Um, but all the sports, I mean, it, it really, I'm, I'm sad for the athletes that have to compete at an Olympics in COVID because there's so much um, camaraderie and excitement around just being a part of team USA, you know, getting to the speed skating mobile and getting up to the mountains to watch the skiers. And you don't even know these people really, you just met them on the first day, but you feel so invested in their medal runs, right. And their, their Olympic journey as well. So, um, so it's, it was exciting. Um, next guest I would recommend, um, I would have to say, and Strader might remember her a fellow like Boyle, um, athlete, Casey Bellamy. Um, yes. one of my, yeah. One of my really good friends, um, you know, just almost needs no introduction, her, her resume as well in the hockey world. They just had Casey Bellamy Day at UNH, actually, this uh, this last weekend. Um, and she's just a fantastic person, leader, was a great player, recently retired. Um, you know, we were on the team a similar length. She, she stayed on for about one and a half more years than I did or two, two more years than I did. But um, just recently retired, and she'd be a great, um, great chat for you guys. All right, Casey Bellamy, great, right great name to bring up. I got, I got one more. I got one more. Okay, go ahead, Mitch. Pay money, Mitch. Megan, yeah. how, long, how long have you been working for the Devils now? I started in May, so about, uh, was that, six months now? He, he doesn't pay attention too well, Megan. You wow. said that when you started. Yeah, <laughs> got to revisit this here. I want to know. And be honest, what's Strader like in the scouting meetings? Yes, this is what I was going to ask. This is what I was going to ask. I a know. true professional. Oh, true professional. That, That's that right. Lie. <laughs> oh. Oh. He's a true professional. No, Gosh. honestly, I mean, what I will say is, is one of my biggest takeaways from just joining the Devils in general is um, is the group. Like, I, I've been welcomed. I've had great conversations with a lot of people. Um you know, Brian, I think Brian and I spoke on the phone like within a week of me taking the job and yep. um, been able to just, you know, help help me out as I get settled and then just be be great hockey resources. Like I said early on to just kind of talk hockey with. But um, but also, you know, we, we just had the, the birth of my second child. My wife just had our daughter about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And the Devils family in general has just been amazing, sending notes and congratulations and and, um, and flowers. And it's just, it's a great group to be a part of. And, and certainly, you know, Brian's in that mix. And uh, it's been fun to kind of join the join the family and be a part of the group. There you go, straight or good. You're getting awesome. propped up from everybody. Wow. So. Yeah, there you go. There you, go. <laughs> so. you gave me a compliment last episode too, Brady, I believe. Yes, of course. I see. I, I'm not. Mitch thinks I'm here to cut everybody down, but what I. What happened I, to Mitch? What's going on? <laughs> he, his computer definitely died again. Frozen. Definitely, his computer well, definitely. That died. is a tough look. I hope nobody watches this on YouTube. <laughs> then that's yeah. it. There he goes. Get him out of there. Oh well. Mitch is, Mitch is out. We'll try to get him back. By the time we do, the interview will be over. But Megan Duggan, uh, Olympic champion, seven-time world champion, proponent of the sport, and uh, one of the good people in the game. So, Megan, we appreciate all the time today. And uh, we'll try to track down Casey Bellamy for a future episode. So thanks Perfect. for the name. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Megan. The Elevate 02 podcast is brought to you in part by Frank Crum. Frank Crum is a professional employer organization that partners with businesses to assist with human resources, workers' compensation, insurance, risk management, employee benefits, and payroll administration. When you partner with Frank Crum, you are increasing your profits, productivity, saving a ton of time, and reducing your liability and cost. They are unique to the PEO industry because they own their own workers' compensation carrier, Frank Winston Crum Insurance and they work with difficult industries like construction, roofing, plumbing, 
electricians, and even some trucking. Visit frankcrum.com and tell them Elevato 2 sent you. And if you're an insurance agent or broker, visit frankcrum.com to hear how you can offer Frank Crum's PEO services to your clients. She was awesome, guys. I, I think we all agree, you know, Tori, we joked about, you know, the Canadian and American rivalry and stuff like that with you. We all love Olympic hockey, and Olympic hockey is great. And straighter to your point, sometimes women's hockey generates more interest than men's hockey even does, at least from the Americans in the uh, in the Olympics. So I love Olympic hockey. I think we all love Olympic hockey. And it was great to talk to uh, one of the pillars of, of Olympic hockey for the last you know, last decade. Yeah, it was great. She was she was awesome. Right, we got to have her on again. Uh, <laughs> and I think you know, I think, at, and at the end of the day, and, and we didn't ask her this, but everyone wants to see USA Canada in the finals, especially us. You know, it's oh, just, yeah. it's just there's so much love hate there, um, mm-hmm. and so much respect amongst the teams that it's just the. Uh, I mean, Olympic gold, Canada, USA. It doesn't get any better than that, and. You know, as a Canadian, it was it was pretty great to see them finally win, and they had done so well, especially her area, the, her era, those teams uh, in the World Championships, and then they get to that big one in the Olympics, and they just they would slip up against Canada. But um, no, super, it was it was just fun to chat with her, and, are, and super cool you, that she finally got got the gold medal. I am. Are you complimenting shot. Team USA? <laughs> <laughs> what's in that? What's in that? A lapse of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. With that said, I do have a. Uh, team oh, oh, there it is. Give me a break. Team Canada. Give me a break. Oh, beautiful. You, beautiful. You know what I wanted to ask her? I, like, I wanted to ask her, and I thought of this after. I thought of it during the interview when she was talking, but I was like, oh, that's not really relevant. I wanted to ask her. Can you imagine her and her wife's trophy room at their house? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, pretty full. Cool. Oh, holy cow. Like, where do you, where do you put all their gold medals, all their silver medal, all their, like, I mean, between the two of them, how many do they have? Oh, crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. I just wanted to give us some, yeah, you're right. I just wanted to give us a little dirt on straighter. Yeah, I know. Right. Well, no, we've only been working together for like a couple months. I only run into her every now and then, you know, so she's got nothing on me yet. What did she say? Oh, he's been very professional. (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be something out there. Oh, for sure. there is. COVID times where, you know, we hang out too much on Zoom. We don't get to get together and and go out for beers. And that's, you know, that's when you can get something on me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys ever play uh, international hockey? I know not the Olympics, but did you ever play World Juniors or any of that oh. kind of stuff? Do you know who you're talking to over there? Strader is an American icon. Uh, he's a, he captain of, of World Junior time. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's got oh, it man. in his bio, by the way. Aren't he's you too old to have man. World Junior captain in your bio? No, nah, it's a big oh. one. I need that one. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing that would have been better was if there was a medal attached to it. That was the worst <laughs> part about it. That it's was a fun big. tournament, though. He can't get us blue checked. He's got so oh, much here we go. as the American captain. This and if that. I had won a medal, I think we would have had the blue check. By yeah, our, what, our Elevate 02 podcast Instagram page is not blue check marked yet. We're not verified because because why? We're trying to use straighter to just kind of push us through and get that blue badge, but I don't know. I need I need to, I need to send Instagram some better articles of straighter. Maybe I don't know. I, listen, I can't. I, I would love to chirp, but I sh- I'm probably the reason they're like, who? Who's this? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Bates, Bates, you were just on the uh, on the athletics podcast that came out last week. So look at you hobnobbing with the athletic. I, I mean, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I I, I totally I pumped our tires though, boys. I oh, pumped our tires. Good. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> hey. to the podcast, Mark. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, we are just over an hour now, so let's kind of wrap it up here. Uh, Thanksgiving is tomorrow um, by the time this comes out, so I hope everybody has a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Mitch, do you celebrate American Thanksgiving or what? I do. I do. Both. Canadian uh, – the Canadian Thanksgiving is always the second – I think it's the second Monday of October every year. Doesn't even know. Uh, you doesn't even know. How about that, Bader? Doesn't even it's, know. It's, uh, uh Check that, uh, but I think I'm right. <laughs> and then, and then the uh, hang on, Beatsy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang on. I'm gonna dive a little deeper on in on this. Don't, don't. What's don't the history me, behind the Canadian? Yeah, don't ask yeah. me why. Don't ask me the history. But something about the harvest. 
uh, something like the food is is ready earlier up north because because it gets colder quicker. But uh, I celebrate both. I'm gonna have a big Thanksgiving with the family mm-hmm. here. My parents are actually coming down from Can from Montreal to uh, celebrate their second Thanksgiving. But uh, no, I like. I mean, the American one's got a little bit more flair because we got all the football going on on Thursday. It's doesn't get any better. Three games back to back to it's back. Great. Great. Mitch took his definition right from Wikipedia. Thanks- <laughs> Canadian Thanksgiving held on the second Monday in October, which celebrates the harvest. Did you take it yeah. directly from Wikipedia? <laughs> yeah, Google that. Literally Google that. They, they, literally, they literally ask us this every single year. If you're on an American team, celebrates the harvest. <laughs> they ask us, well, "What's the deal? What? Well, how come you guys have Thanksgiving earlier?" And we're like, "Well, it's the harvest there." Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> not not to change the tune real quick, but since you brought up f- football, we might need to console Strader. He's having a tough season in fantasy football, fellas. He's not a fantasy he's, guy. Why do, why, why do you got to bring this up? I, I just want to make sure that you're okay. I'm, I'm really – I'm concerned about I'm you. I'm, I'm selling concerned. off. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm in yeah. sell mode right now. I'll be you know back what? at it t- next year. Rebuilding year. Why don't you tell our Elevator 2 uh, podcast yeah. listeners about your addiction? To fantasy football, addiction yeah. to fantasy football. Addiction. Yeah, I mean it's 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 deep. It's deep rooted. I've been doing it for what, like, fifteen years now. Back to back championships in the uh, in the big league. I will. Always say, trying to get into the league. I will <laughs> say I don't. I want nothing. I don't want to get into the league, but I I hope I get invited back for every single one of their draft parties because man, that is off the rocker. Oh, yeah. I, I got I got I got invited this past year. Wow, what a time. What My only question is, is Strader's team worse than the Lions that we're going to be watching tomorrow? Lobster, lobster money is a pretty uh, – they're, they're on, they've got a lot of guys the on the IR. Lobster money, Lions. Lobster money has a lot of guys on the IR. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be – yeah, lobster money. Wouldn't it be better if, <laughs> if the Lions were actually good for a change so like that first game on Thanksgiving wasn't so terrible? We can't chirp the Lions, man. I feel so bad for that coach. He I wants know. to win so bad. Yeah, so. Dan Campbell. I do. Well, yeah. you know, Detroit's have been on some tough times here recently. The Red Wings haven't been, you know, great in a bit like they used to be in the nineties. They'll Pistons be good. Are awful. You know it. Yeah, Lucas Raymond. Yeah, watch out for that kid, dude. Holy that God. cider kid. Who? What a player! Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna be a Norris Trophy winner before yeah. you know it. Stud. Hey, uh, I think that is a good spot to go. Our ode to Detroit ends the, our uh, our Thanksgiving episode here. So, hey, keep keep uh, following us on social media. You guys are doing great. We're getting a lot of interaction. Twitter at Elevate02. Instagram at Elevate02podcast. Mitch is showing off his Canadian hockey puck to the YouTube <laughs> audience there. So you can email, of a, email us, Elevate02podcast at gmail.com. we got a lot of people hitting us up, giving us some uh, – know some good chirps some good suggestions things they want to hear guests they want to hear so uh we appreciate the feedback and we'll be back after the holiday in episode seven so for straighter the professor money mitch i'm farky and uh we'll see you in episode seven. Oh, farky <laughs> let's go cool.